of this universe talk, do you realise that physicists are compelled now, because of the evidence of how galaxies move, to think that 95% of what is out there we can't detect. They call it dark matter and dark energy. So the wonder that Graham was talking about, the almost infinite number of stars, that's 5% of what's out there. The rest we can't detect, but we kind of got to, we know it's got to be there because of the way um, the galaxies move and gravity around them. Go figure. Amazing. Um, and they got new exp oh yes, I, I won't talk about that they got a new toy um, no, they want to build a new toy uh, you know they got C uh, CERN, the Large Hadron Collider with about 22 kilometre circumference they can make things go really quickly things like protons and then smash them together at 99.999% of the speed of light you realise that the, the, the speed limit of the universe is the speed of light you knew this, yes. And they can, they can get, so nothing can go as fast as that. But they can get pretty close and they smash them together and say, oh, let's see what's made. And they're discovering all sorts of little particles. Well, they want a bigger one. Not 22 kilometres circumference, 90 kilometres circumference. And they're going to bury it 200 metres below ground. Um, that's what they want to build. And uh, people that own the money are saying, well, that's a bit expensive. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm sorry, the reason they want to do that is to give some insight, to start to explore what is the nature of this undetectable dark matter and dark energy, which we kind of are compelled to understand is there, but it's undetectable. Moving on. Acts chapter 8. Um, so, uh, thank you, Graham. How do I make this bend? There we are. <clears throat> so, we're in chapter 8, and we've been down to... Um, we've been up to Samaria from Jerusalem, and we observed that the Samaritans were despised. They were an apostate nation. They worshipped God, but they thought they could do it in their own terms, in their own way. And the Jews said, you are rotters. It's God said he's put his name in Jerusalem. And they had this whole alternative system. It was corrupt. Um, and extraordinarily they started to receive Jesus. They started to receive his word and believe in him. And we observed that actually while the Judeans were resisting Jesus and the religious establishment in Jerusalem was resisting him and while the Galileans were pretty ho-hum, well, we'll go along with it while he's doing the miracles and while he's saying things we like, but when he says some of the things he says, multitudes turned back. Remember John 6? They, they couldn't hear it, and they turned back and left him. Now, in that environment, his own people not receiving him properly, the Samaritans were on a hair trigger. He just said one thing to the woman at the well, and the whole village came out and worshipped him and said, please stay. Okay? So you've got the religious orthodoxy resisting the Lord, and the ones who were apostate and corrupt receiving him. That was before. After Pentecost, 
Down went, uh, up went Philip to, to Samaria because they were squeezed out because of the persecution. So very rapidly the gospel was beginning to spread. And the Lord had said, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, you will be, my, you will be witnesses to me. You remember that, Acts chapter 1. Judea, Samaria, tick, tick. And soon we'll have the uttermost parts of the earth. And there's quite a nice story which I read recently. Um, I didn't know this. We'll come to that in a minute. Okay, so that's where we're up to. Um, and there's this Simon character. We dealt with him a little bit. And now we're going to move on to verse 25. When the job was done. So interestingly, they'd sent down Peter and John, John the epistle writer and the John the gospel writer to from Jerusalem to Samaria to see what was going on. What? Samaritans? Are you for real? And they saw God at work there. They hadn't received the Holy Ghost but they prayed for them and God gave them. What? Yes! The Samaritans? Ah! Ah! Yes! He gave them the Holy Ghost. Okay, and so all their um, Religious superiority, oh, well, we actually, we got Moses, Moses and Abraham's our father, we're fine. And you get this in Nicodemus, uh, Jesus had to say to him, mate, he didn't say mate, he said, Nicodemus, you're not going to get, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born from above. Forget the fact that you're a Pharisee, forget the fact that you're of Abraham. If Abraham were your father, he said to another lot, you'd believe me, you're of your father the devil. That was another lot of Jews. So, all those misconceptions were being addressed. And here they are again being blown away. And so, having seen what, how God was at work, thank the Lord that their hearts were open. Yes, they got their prejudices. And you and I, we, we're, we're the products of our environments in so many ways. We've just got to be happy to let our prejudices and the teaching of our environment go by the board and be taught of Jesus by the Spirit and learn new stuff. Paul said, be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind. Ah, I see, I, I, I might have some changing to my thinking that needs to be, take place. Yes, there might be some changing to my thinking that needs to take place. My inward disposition, my inward understanding, it's got to be changed, man. Okay, so they were being changed. So, here's what we find. Oh, well, Huh, and they got on board right away. If God's dealing like this with the Samaritans, they went back, and here's what they said. Verse 25. And when they had testified, they, so they left Samaria, and when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. See, so uh, Peter and John were, got in on this work, this temporary, informal mission of Philip's. They got in on it and they testified and they spake the word of God to the Samaritans. They wouldn't normally have gone, in there, gone into their land. If, when they, if they had to go through it, they'd shake the dust off their feet so they didn't contaminate the Holy Land. And yet now, here they were, right off the bat, testifying to Jesus, preaching the word of the Lord to these despised. You've got to understand, it was a big deal. And, not only so, at every place they went, they preached the gospel, they returned to Jerusalem, and as they came down from the north in Samaria to Jerusalem, everywhere they went, they preached the gospel in many villages 
of the Samaritans. Remember the, the woman had said, how many that you, being a Jew, is asking a drink of me, a Samaritan, a woman of Samaria? And so the, the partition and the division and the exclusion and the religious exclusivity was being eroded from their practice. And they saw God is at work. And you and I must think, as we read these things, that God so loved the world. And now he was, he was uh, broadcasting his love for the world in the person of Jesus. That he gave his only son, that whosoever... Samaritan. We're going to see a um, mutilated man, uh, Australian, even the British. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so we see the, the march of the love of God, the march of the love of the Creator. Um, so, that was verse 25. And the dear Peter and John smoked it at once, they saw God's at work here, let's get on with the job be witnesses unto me in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth verse 26 now the angel, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying arise and go toward the south under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza which is desert We've said before that this phrase, the angel of the Lord, correctly, merely means the messenger of Jehovah. Sometimes a, a, a spiritual, an angelic being. Sometimes a man could be an angel of the Lord, a messenger of Jehovah. But for you and me, um, we also have a messenger of Jehovah indwelling us. Jesus said that he would give us another comforter, an advocate, one called alongside, a being, a person, speaking in our hearts. So we might think that the messenger of the Lord referred to here was the Holy Ghost who indwelt them. But it's not specified. We might, we might like to draw some conclusions later on. Um, anyway, Philip... Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And so the Lord impressed on Philip that he had to go there. And he specified the road as well, which was a good thing. Because if he got, got a different road and the wrong road, he wouldn't have made this liaison. He wouldn't have made this meat, which he didn't know was going to happen. So he, it was very good that the Lord had said, on that road, mate, uh, or not mate, but on that road, <laughs> Philip. Uh, uh, and here's what happened on that road. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, or Nubia, an eunuch of great authority under Kandake, Queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. It was per apparently quite normal for Eastern potentates in those days to employ eunuchs as ministers and governors. Apparently that continued till quite recently. Uh, now, he had the charge of all her treasure 
and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, but was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading aloud Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit of the Lord said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And just the word, I've always imagined um, the from pictures, I think, as a, as a child. We have a chariot, a war chariot, an open thing with two wheels. Probably not. It was a, a travelling chariot, a cart, a covered cart. And if you think, if you're in a, if you're a man of uh, some means, you probably would have a, a, a cart with some cover from the sun, wouldn't you? Uh, so don't think war chariot open, racing along. Uh, think covered cart. Apparently, that's... Okay, so, and the spirit... Ah, hello. Do you see that there's been a shift? The angel of Jehovah, and now he's identified as the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Ah, so you understand uh, why we question who, what was the identity of the angel? Was it a human being, an angelic being, um, or was it actually the messenger of God, God the Holy Spirit? Um, but now we have the Holy Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him Read the prophet Isaiah. So he's reading out loud. Apparently that's normal. Um, and you've got to decipher the text. It's pretty tricky. So they would tend to read out loud. I've lost place. Uh, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So here was this foreigner uh, going back to Ethiopia. He didn't understand what he was reading. Um, this bloke seemed to know what he was talking about. He asked the right question. Do you understand what you're reading? So he said, come. And he hopped up into the covered wagon. The place of the scripture which he read was this. It was Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, concerning whom speaketh the prophet this? Concerning himself or concerning some other? Then Philip opened his mouth and began from the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Uh, of course, the, the servant, the suffering servant, I'll tell you this, the Jews sweat, after, after the crucifixion, the Jews swept that under the carpet. But until the first century, all the rabbis said, this prophecy is about the Messiah. How embarrassing for them. 
But we rejected him. We did all that happened there. And they said, no, no. And after the first century, the Jews said, no, that doesn't refer to the Messiah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they changed their tune. Um, otherwise, the, the whole scheme is, doesn't work anymore, does it? Um, but he picked the right man. Philip had been there. They, they, they were alive in the days of the fulfillment of that prophecy. Bang! So he was off. And Philip, beginning at that scripture, declared unto him Jesus. And you and I remember now that, uh, in fact, the whole of scripture is all about Jesus, we sang, he's the centre of it all. God has in these last days spoken unto us in his Son. He's only got one message. And you and I have only got... And really, the, the whole point of Scripture is to present Jesus, the Son. It's not principally a history, it's not to educate us, it's to present to us Jesus. It was to, the, the Old Testament scriptures were to prepare the world for Jesus. And of course, there was not a line of the New Testament written at this time. There were, um, there were no Gospels. There was their confession, the confession of witnesses. So, the only scripture they had to refer to, and clearly the eunuch took seriously the authenticity of the Old Testament, so he started at that spot. And use it to do what? To give him a history lesson? Not really. To declare unto him, Jesus. These, were, these things were being spoken about. Jesus, the faithful servant put to death, who suffered for us. So, this Nubian, this Ethiopian, very senior man, the treasurer for, for Queen Kandake. Now, I've learnt something today in reading about this. Um, apparently, the Ethiopian kings were considered to be um, the son of the son, the sons of the sun, and they were too glorious and they were too high to dirty their hands with the ordinary affairs of government. So, guess who was asked to be the effective ruler? There was the king the messenger and offspring of the sun, too high to get involved in human affairs. So who ended up being the, the mother of the king? Kandake. Candace. Uh, so it, she was, it was, uh, it, that was apparently the thing in Nubia, in Ethiopia. It was the mums of the king who got on with the government of the land. The king was too brightly shining to dirty his hands with ordinary affairs. So that's where she fits in, to the situation. And here was his, her minister, her treasurer, uh, this slave, this eunuch. Um, I wonder what he was doing in Jerusalem, because you know from Deuteronomy 23 that there are a list of prohibitions. God loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. But he, in, his, in the theocratic system he imparted to the Jews, there were lots of prohibitions and exclusions. Um, certain conditions precluded people from assembling with the Lord's people to worship. If they'd had leprosy, they had to be cleansed before they could come back. And God 
in these exclusions was at pains to emphasize his holiness. Yes, the heavens declare his glory. And in giving them this, these forms, he was impressing on them his holiness. He couldn't, he is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. He won't have the maimed and the wrong. He was going to make a way though. Uh, it didn't mean he didn't love the world. It meant he wanted to emphasize to the sentient humans his holiness. And one of the exclusions was eunuchs. Uh, you can go and read it in 23. They shall not gather with my assembly. They also bastards. They shall not gather with my assembly. And a little bit further on, uh, in Isaiah, I, I, I suspect, I don't know, it, that he hadn't got to this place yet. Uh, eunuch, going back to Ethiopia, who'd been to Jerusalem, and as I say, I'm not quite sure what he would have been permitted to do, whether he would have been permitted to pray in the court of the Gentiles, because he was a eunuch. Um, Je uh, Deuteronomy 23.1, a specific exclusion. But, listen to this. Uh, listen. Uh, that decree was going to be revoked. Here's Isaiah 56. So he was reading in 53. Three chapters later, uh, Blessed is the man, that, the son of the man, verse 1, verse 3. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to Jehovah speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Do you think that the son of the stranger, do you think that the illegitimate, the bastards, um, are included there? It sounds a bit like it. Moving on, that was another exclusion in Deuteronomy 23. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith Jehovah unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, you may like to think, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. The Lord has a word for these heretofore excluded people who love him and take hold of my covenant, even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And also the sons of the stranger. Um, isn't that lovely? The prohibition, the decreed exclusion was about to be lifted. I don't know whether our eunuch had got to that place yet, but I suspect he would have been very aware that his access to the eternal God through the worship that the eternal God had ordained was very limited. It didn't stop him being hungry. It didn't stop him desiring to please him. Um, but his access at that time in the Jewish system would have been limited. Imagine that as a context for what happens next. 
here's what happens next. Can you imagine that? The man had a thirst for God. He had a heart to please him. And yet, he could only be associated with those things in a most, a most peripheral way. Still he read. Did it make him angry with God? Of course not. This isn't the most stupid thing to do. To be active, insane thing to do is to be angry with God. The only sane thing to do is to fall on our knees before him and say, Thou art higher than us. Your ways are higher than my ways. Father, I worship you. Um, be whatever it means to me, you're right. Um, I never understood people who say they get angry with God. Um, moving on. Um, when the pressure's on, we need to go to him for succor. We need to go to him when, when everything goes wrong, apparently wrong, and pear-shaped, and not as we wished it to be. There's only one recourse for us, is to go to the God of all comfort and seek solace in him. And Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done, as it is in heaven, so on earth. Our Father, Thy will be done, if that's then... Um, help me to live with your will, help me to understand um, we can go to the God of all comfort okay so here's what happens um, and Philip opened his mouth, verse 35 and began at the same scripture and declared unto him Jesus declared the, to him the glad tidings of Jesus and as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Verse 37, we are informed by, it's a unanimous view, is a gloss. It was inserted by later people who wanted to, um, to uh, back up their practice and doesn't exist in the original. Okay, so... I'm not going to argue with you about it, but I'm happy with the caliber of the men that say it's an insertion, it's not there. If you believe with all your heart, you can. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It was a bit formulaic. So if we take that out, we read like this. So, he, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when, he were, and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of Jehovah caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Can you imagine? Um, Look, he had a hunger for God, clearly. Jesus had, he had talked about men like him. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's righteousness. He is the personification of righteousness. He is the righteous one. So our appetite for righteousness actually is an appetite for him. And he appeared in Jesus and but he, he desired, but he was excluded even from the grace of the worship in the temple. I'm sure he went on his way rejoicing, having come face to face with uh, 
he whom, for whom he hungered. And not only come face to face with, it seems if he went on his way rejoicing that he had at that time received the Holy Ghost, received the promise of the Father, and undergone the transformation that Jesus talked about and that we read about in John's Gospel. As many as received Jesus, and there he was receiving, receiving, to them gave he authority to become generated of God directly, like an angelic being, to become the sons of God. No doubt he uh, went on his way rejoicing. Paul talks about it. The joy of the Holy Ghost. Joy in the Holy Ghost. So we just read that verse? Um, because I quoted just a little part. Romans 14 and 17. And... Whoops, here it is. Let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Well, what is this kingdom of God business? Here it is. But righteousness and peace. Oh, I don't know. I can remember so distinctly the agony of the war I had waged against God as a boy. Um, conscious of the rebellion in my inner man. I remember so distinctly that when the Lord met me, the war was over. I knew I wasn't his enemy anymore. I, was, I bore as a, a burden the sense that I was God's enemy. Everything that God said was good, I didn't want. And I didn't want anything that he talked about. And yet, I didn't want to be like that. I was at war with the one that I wanted to know. And I remember <laughs> the uh, sense of the key issue, the key issue, that I was no longer his enemy. I was no longer the rebel. Um, the great release, the great liberation and joy in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, the unit went on his way rejoicing. He who'd been excluded from the one he loved. He who'd been prevented. Um, and even those things that he was excluded from were partial. Now he had entered into live with him within the veil. Yes, it caused him to rejoice. That's what the kingdom of God is. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Uh, okay. Verse 39, he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Ashdod, Azotus, the other Philistine city of Ashdod. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Nothing else to talk about. Um, this kingdom has flooded the man. He was full of the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And everywhere he went, um, now, 
I think you'll like this. So it's just the last little bit of history, and then there'll be a brief meditation on what it meant for the eunuch, for this um, Ethiopian, and what, um, what it means for us. But here's the last little bit of history, which I thought was lovely. Okay. In, between 61 and 63, apparently, so I'm told by a reliable source, um, the Romans had sent an expedition up the Nile to explore the Nile and got as far as some of the upper reaches, Ethiopia. And they called it the end of the earth. They called it the end of the earth. And their name for the people that lived there was, I have it written down, the last of men. Oh, that was, that was Homer's Odyssey, the last of men. So the Greeks and the Romans regarded that as the end of the earth. Homer refers to the Nubians, the Ethiopians, as the last of men. Jesus had said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Tick, tick, tick. Most astonishing that those prissy Jews should go to Samaria. But they did. And they witnessed, and they, they could say nothing about, they said, God is at work here. And now, our friend, newly received into God, rejoicing as he went, do you reckon that he too, just like Philip, might have gone back to the last of men, the end of the earth, and talked to the people he knew about Jesus? Inevitably. Um, he would have been full of it. Full of what God had done for him. And it would have flowed out of him like a river of living water. Entirely fulfilling. Uh, just uh, as Jesus had predicted and had said, if you, if you thirst, come unto me and drink. So there was our Ethiopian drinking from Jesus went on his way rejoicing, and out of his belly flowed rivers of living water. And so within a very few weeks of Jesus having said that, um, I thought you'd enjoy that. That was actually how they described um, Ethiopia. Now, so that was the end of that. A couple of things. Uh, a very, very wonderful um, next step in the escape of the gospel from the temple and Jerusalem to the rest of the world. Wonderful. Thank you, Father, for letting us hear how it happened. But if I could just pause for a moment and think on the personal level what it means for that Ethiopian. Do you think that we should think with the writer to Timothy, with Paul, that God knows, the Lord knows them that are his. So here he was, this man, a lover of God, but not permitted to get in, really, because of his condition. Um, and God sent somebody just for him. Here he was, he's running beside my chariot. He seemed God knows them that are his. On an individual level, um, how he must have uh, 
thought upon the love of God for him. Do I matter enough for you to send a messenger to me, God? And the truth is that for each one of us, if we've come to know the eternal God, it's because he sent a messenger to us. And he put somebody in our lives to talk to us about him and to be a witness to Jesus. He loves each of us enough. God knows those that are his. The inference there, and I don't want to sound horrible here, uh, but just to emphasize the fact, is that he also knows them that are not his. And prior to any conversion, there seems to be two categories of human being. Now you, you might pillory me for this, but I'm going to um, just meditate with you a little bit. Uh, it seems that there are two categories of human being. Those that are his, and those that are not his. And let's just take a step back. The Eternal Father has made man, and made creation, and he's not left himself without witness. And we have, even on the most simple level, there's the witness of conscience. Um, people know what's right and wrong uh, in so many ways. And uh, we constitute ourselves uh, his, I think, I, I think I'm allowed to say this, and I'll show you why, his or not his, based on our response to righteousness, the righteous one. Jesus said, blessed they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Which is a bit like hungering and thirsting after he, him, who is righteous. Um, does that, that infers, surely that infers to you and me, that there are people who do not hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so in fact their moral response to a consciousness of what's good, to a conscience, is conscience, a consciousness of what's righteous, their moral response is, I'm not interested in what's good, I'm going to have what suits me. The first step toward corruption. Is that fair? Um, so when he who is righteous appears, as many as received him, to them, moral condition, receiving Jesus, receiving the righteous one, recognizing in him that which is of God, and say, yes, I want to have it, even though it's going to mean the end of something in me, I must have him. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled the eunuch was filled. He'd been hungry and thirsty. So, God knows what we're made of. He sees the heart. He doesn't see the external nominalism. He doesn't see what we want people to imagine about it. No, 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 no. He sees the heart. And he knows the ones that are his. He knows our responses. He knows that um, we, our response to the fact of sin in our inner man can be one of two things. Either, Lord, I hate this, will you change me? Or it can be, I'm going with this. 
Is that fair to say? And our moral response to the presence of the sinful nature in our inner man will constitute us either one of his or somebody who flees from him and rejects him. I don't want righteousness. I want what suits me in an animal way. Now, um, let's look at a couple of scriptures just before you draw your sword. (laughs) I had a a Muslim neighbour. I had a Muslim neighbour who we had a great time with. Uh, I I won't name him. That's fine. Um, And he got into a huge spat with a lady who'd come to help us in the garden. She's an older woman, and she was no shrinking violet. And so they, he thought she was killing his plants. And, uh, and out comes a stick. Uh, I can't remember. He threatened death. He's over the top. And anyway, I talked to him. I said, look, really, you can't talk to these people like that. In Australia, to make threats like that is illegal. Uh, and he said... He's, oh no, that wasn't actually. I didn't have to say that. But, um, it was another thing. Somebody had come round to complain about our dog, and was going to set the authorities on us and blah blah blah. When we knew, we shut her up. It's fine, no problem. It was a hint. And he said to me at that time, he said, "No, no, no. They should have come and talked to you um, be- before the sword. You talk to them, and then the sword." <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Now, how do we get onto that? Uh, Before we draw that sword. We're going to pull the sword. Before before we sword you. You're going to read scripture. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. I lost it. It seemed relevant at the time, and then the story got lost. Uh, Ah! No, I can't remember. Anyway. um, (laughs) They'll never have me back. Um, So let's look. Ah, no. Let's, let's look in a, f- a few verses of scripture. John chapter 10. And these, hopefully, you'll remember. <laughs> this concept of... Oh yes, st- st- taking a step back. And the Lord's made men and women. And he's left a witness to himself in so many ways. Creation... The heavens declare the glory of God. They're shouting to us of his glory. Uh, and also the, the witness of conscience. Well, I'm not an animal. I've got this, this voice inside me. And he's looking at the response to that voice. He loves men and women. Um, and he's making a way for us to always... The, there's the, the pressure, there's the opportunity to have the right response... But he sees that men and women, apparently, so, says, so it seems to me to say in scripture, um, resolve into two groups. Those who will do his will and those who won't. Have a look at what the Lord said. 10, 24, we'll read a few verses. This is after he'd been speaking about uh, the, the sheep and the good shepherd. 24, then came the Jews round about him. They'd been listening to this. He was in the temple in Solomon's porch and said to him, How long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, 
Tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify concerning me. Blind Larry could see that. They testify concerning me. Whoops. But ye believe not. Why? Because you are not of my sheep. The reason they didn't believe was they weren't his. They had established a disposition, a moral condition that constituted them not his sheep. They had a history. It had become entrenched. It had become their chosen position not to have God. Well, they might have been the religious rulers. Never mind. Do you, do you see my point? That this is a, I have expanded on what apparently the Lord Jesus is saying here. The reason you don't believe is that you ain't mine. The f- God knows them that are his. Uh, But ye believe not, verse 26, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I'll give unto them eternal life. They'll never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Thank you, Father. Are you, are you listening to this? Are you drinking from it? My Father, which gave them me, oh Lord, they're his Jesus sheep because the Father gave them to him. The Father knows what's in our hearts and he sees what you are and he's giving you to Jesus. Oh, here are son, this one's one of ours. Look after them. Nobody will pluck you out of my hand. My Father who gave them to me, he's greater than all. You don't have to worry about Satan. You don't, you don't have to not respect his, um, but you don't have to worry about him. He can't touch you. Just plead Jesus and say, actually, I belong to the Lord Jesus. Um, I'm his. That's it. Um, he's got no power over us. We, we don't have to be frightened. Um, none shall pluck us out of his hand. My Father, he's greater than all. Can we read it? My Father, which gave them to me. Oh, Lord, thank you. Dear ones, if you're saved today, if you're in Jesus, if you know him, if you're living in Jesus, in the place within the veil, it's because the Father has given you to the Lord Jesus. And say, here, this is mine, look after him. Um, It's not because you're good, uh, it's because of your, can I suggest? That it's our response to the evil in us. We don't want to be dominated by it. We are, but we don't want to be. We turn to him to say, Lord, help. Um, yes. Then the Jews took up, I and my father are one. He is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? So it goes on. Can we look at John 17? 
Uh, this is lovely. I've ma- verse 6. I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they've kept thy word. There we are. They were yours, Father. You gave them to me. I haven't lost any of them, except for the son of perdition. Uh, Chapter 6. You know what we're going to say, don't you? Verse 37. Chapter 6 of John, verse 37. But I said unto you that you have also seen me and believe not. All the Father, all that the Father giveth me, shall come to me. Right? If the Father is giving us to the Lord Jesus, we'll come to him. The reason we come to him is because the Father is drawing us. Because the Father has taught us to go to him. All that the Father, let's just read it again, verse 37, all that the Father giveth me, shall come to me. And he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, the faithful servant, which is what, how he taught us to be. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Did you realize that God is exercised about your soul to this extent? That he has worked for you and he is working for you. Nothing, no one shall pluck you out of his hand. That of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing. But raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which looketh on, or is a beholder of the sun, somebody who sees the sun, somebody who has faith in the sun, that everyone which has faith in the sun and believeth on him may have everlasting life. We're going to invite them, we're going to bring them into the life of the Godhead. What? Yes! Starting now. Bring them into the life of the Godhead, living with Him within the holy place. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Okay. And finally, Chapter 3. Oh, Father. Verse 18. Nicodemus. The Lord had revealed things to Nicodemus that had never been said before. Dear old man, a Pharisee, um, but recognizing in Jesus truth and righteousness. 
He that, verse 18 of chapter 3, he that believeth on me, on him, sorry, he that believeth on him, the Son of God, is not judged. But he that believeth not, mine and not mine, is judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And we had some commentary on that in chapter 10, didn't we? And the reason they didn't believe was that they weren't his. Verse 19, and this is a judgment, that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be detected. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Guys, that's all pre-regeneration. It's, it's our response to Jesus that makes us fit uh, subject of this grace of God. As many as receive him, to them, not the others, to them, gave the authority to become directly generated of God, sons of God entering into the life of God, living with him, walking with Jesus in our hearts by the Spirit. Uh, and so they got the, the historical fact and the uh, personal wonder that God knows them that are his. And he's working for us yet to bring about full salvation for us. Shall we give him thanks? Just